receive it. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to pick up this morning in chapter 2, and we're going to look at the song of Hannah. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, I do want to welcome all those who are joining us via our live stream. And uh, there's many of you, I know, join up with us every week, and we're grateful for you. Also, the venue service meeting right down the hall and Reach Church DeSoto. It was a blessing to be with Reach Church DeSoto this past week on Monday and Tuesday night, uh, their refresh conference, and uh, get to talk with so many of them. If you've not been out and worshiped on a Sunday morning at Reach Church, you ought to go sometime. God is doing a great work out there. There's a buzz going on, and it is so much fun. Pastor Ryan McDaniel, Pastor Ryan Schatzer, and Pastor Josh doing a great job, but we're, we're grateful, Reach Church, you're joining with us this morning. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 2. We left off last week, and she leaves Samuel there at the, the temple, the tabernacle in Shiloh. Um, and you'll notice there at the end of chapter 1 and verse 28, and he at the very end there, he worshiped the Lord there. Uh, he's worshiping. We pick up in chapter 2 and we find out that not only is Samuel worshiping, Hannah's worshiping. She sings. This is a woman who has known the truth of God's sovereignty and his greatness, but now she's been overwhelmed by the fact that God loves her. God cares for her. Listen, when you get to a place of realizing that not only is God great, but that he loves you, I tell you what, it'll put a song in your heart. I tell people all the time, there's few things better than, than studying God's word, reading and studying scripture, and God speaks. You ever had one of those moments? You're studying as if the words pop, out, pop off the page and you realize that God has a word just for you. And you realize that not only is God sovereign, he's the Lord of hosts, but he's personal, loves you, and Hannah sings. It's been said that you can tell the maturity of a believer by how they sing and when they cry. Hannah sings, and this song is biblical. It's theological. In fact, one commentator said that this provides the interpretive key to all of First and Second Samuel. It kind of creates the theological backdrop to the book. And the idea is that God is in charge. Not only is he in charge, but he's perfect. He's holy. And he delights in, in raising up the humble. And he brings low the arrogant and the prideful. God is in charge. He's good. And she finds rest and peace and blessing that comes from a life that is fully submitted to God a life that is fully laid down before him. We talked last week of 1 Peter 5, 5, that God opposes the, the proud and gives grace to the humble. Well, right after that in verse 6, Peter says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at the proper time. Listen, there is no safer place to be than humbled and submitted fully under the sovereignty of a God who loves you. In other words, you want to enjoy life? Surrender your life to the Lord who's in control. 
You know, sometimes we get this funny notion that we think we're in control. And I think sometimes God sits back and just laughs. God is in charge. Life's a whole lot sweeter when you surrender to his control. That's the joy that Hannah's found. Well, let's pray together, then we'll work our way through this song. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your word this morning. God, I don't know what's going on in every person's life that's in this room or watching in, online, but certainly you do. God, you know everything about them, every aspect of their life, and you love them more than I can possibly comprehend. And God, I believe you have ways of speaking through your word into our hearts personally, and I believe you have a word for every person in this room and every person watching online. So God, I pray that by your spirit and by your word, you'd speak into all of our hearts and you would change us. God, the goal this morning is not to just fill our heads full of knowledge, but to transform our lives. We ask you to do business in us, conform us, change us, mold us, shape us. As we surrender our life to you, make us more like Christ for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, look with me. Verse 1 says, Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Hannah says, I exult in the Lord. In, in her innermost being, her greatest treasure, her greatest delight is the Lord. It's interesting to me. Hannah is, is faithful. She's obedient primarily because she loves the Lord. In other words, we don't, we don't obey God and, and, and be faithful to him because of what we hope he'll give us. Uh, that's okay. There's an acknowledgement that if I disobey the Lord, there might be repercussions. But the greatest reason why we obey the Lord and seek to walk in fellowship and, with him is because we love him. Because he's God. It's interesting to me here, as I read this song, you would think it would be all about Samuel. Thank you, God, for Samuel. Thank you, God, for Samuel. She just, in fact, there's very little mention of Samuel. She never mentions him by name. There's a, there's a reference and implication to Samuel. But most importantly, she's just exulting in a God who has demonstrated that he loves her. Uh, I, as I was reading this, I couldn't help but think when I was at a church in Montgomery and Faith and I had... Uh, begun to pray about uh, me applying for a senior pastor role, and we had put an application out there to some churches, the only time I'd ever put a resume out. And, and we came, quickly came to the realization, there's nobody going to hire me. <laughs> you know, and, and you just kind of get to the realization, well, I don't have five years' experience, and I don't have a doctoral degree, so I guess I'm sunk. And then one day, I got a letter from a church and said, we've listened to a sermon, we've seen your resume, and we'd like to speak to you. And I remember in that moment getting that letter, and I could care less whether I got the job or not. But you know what God was doing that moment? He was reminding me, I know exactly where you are. And if I want to move you, I can move you. So don't you get your dauber down, you lift up your head to me. I'll do what I want to do in your life. That's why Hannah rejoices. Not, not so much because of God's gifts, but because God is the giver. 
And we see here the thankfulness in her life is opposed to the, the, the despair she felt in chapter 1. In chapter 1, she's bitter. She's reluctant about even fellowshipping with God. But here she's rejoicing in God. And, and folks, it's a reminder of what a huge difference it makes when we, in the midst of our pain when we turn to the Lord. You really have one of two options. When you hit trials and sufferings, you can turn away from the Lord. There's a lot of people turn away from the Lord as if the Lord were the problem. Listen, you know what Hannah's encouragement to you today is? The Lord's not the problem. He's the solution. Whatever you're facing today, whatever you're going through, the solution is turn to God. That's where we find hope. That's where we find strength. She says here, my horn is exalted. The Lord It's the image of a bull lifting up his horns after winning a battle, meaning Hannah because she knows God loves her and because she knows God's with her, she's no longer walking in shame. She walks with her head lifted high because God has acted on her, on her behalf. And again, it, it's my horn is exalted in the Lord. Meaning her strength, her confidence, her joy is in the Lord. Not in his gifts, not in the circumstances of our life, but her joy is in the Lord. It's not even in her fertility. It's in the Lord. And she says, my mouth speaks boldly against my enemies. Literally in the Hebrew, it means my mouth is opened wide. It's the Old, it's the Old Testament way of saying she was talking smack. <laughs> She's talking trash. She's standing over Penina, who gloried in her own ability. Penina, I'm sure, afflicted her. When it says he, she afflicted her, I think Penina was saying, yeah, you just go ahead and trust in the Lord. See how that works out for you. Over here, I'm trusting in me. I can have kids left and right. As if she, as if she's the one who's created the children. And she's mocked Hannah for trusting in God. She's mocked Hannah for continually going back to God. And now Hannah says, look who has the last word. God has acted on my behalf. She's confident in the Lord who is with her. It's the same confidence that we're going to see in David. When David goes up against Goliath, and you remember, he stands before Goliath, and he says to Goliath, you come at me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the army that you've been taunting, and I'm about to whip you. That's the Chad McDonald version. I'm going to cut your head off with your own sword, and I'm going to feed the bodies of your friends to the birds of the air. If you just read that at face value, you say, boys, David's a pretty arrogant guy. Listen, it would be arrogance if he was trusting his own ability. He wasn't trusting in him. He was trusting in the God who was with him. See, there ought to be no more confident people in the entire world than Christians. God gets no delight in depressed Christians who always act like everything is against them. There ought to be no more confident people, not because we're confident in us, but because we're confident in the God who is with us, that we have resources on our side. Listen, this is the beauty of being a Christian, that we, we don't operate out of the box of cause and effect, that if this and that doesn't happen, well, if I don't get that job, then I can't go there, and then I'll never do this. Well, if this and that don't happen, then I'm sunk, or... You know, two plus two equals four, and I got a five, so I guess I'm done. Listen, we don't operate in the box of cause and effects. We got God outside the box, and God can do whatever he wants to do. Listen, if God wants to raise up the next leader of Israel from a barren woman in humble circumstances, he can do that if he wants to. Then if God wants to defeat Goliath with a little shepherd boy and a slingshot, he can do that. 
if he wants to uh, release Israel from the bondage of the Egyptians without firing a shot and get all the Egyptians to contribute to the Exodus fund, he can do that too. Nothing is impossible with God. We have resources on our side. We're, we're confident people, not in our own ability. So Hannah's rejoicing, delighting in a, a God who knows her and a God who delights in exalting those who humble themselves under his mighty hand. Look at verse 2. There's no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there's no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. She rejoices that not only is God sovereign, but God's good. See, it's... it's it's one thing to know that God's in control, but the, what makes us draw comfort and joy from knowing that God is in control is knowing that God is also holy, meaning he's perfect. God never makes a mistake. God never has to apologize. Go home this afternoon, look up God in the concordance and see if you can find any phrases by his name that say, my bad, oops, I'm sorry. God never has to apologize because God is never wrong. You don't forgive God because God is perfect. And we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. There's a resting in knowing that he's got a bigger plan than we can see. I think so many times so many people act like, I think I could run this deal better than God. Seriously, that's the way a lot of Christians act. Oh, let me be in charge. I'll show God. You really want to trust your thimble full of knowledge? Uh, I was uh, Friday evening, me and Wyatt were driving in the car, and we were listening to Bot Radio, and um, Jay Vernon McGee was on. And I'm listening to him, and I'm saying, he's preaching 1 Samuel 2. I'm like, why? This is 1 Samuel 2. And he was preaching this passage, and he said he was talking to a student at, at Berkeley, and he said, this young man was having trouble with the ways of God. And he said to him, I'll try to do it like Jay Vernon did it. He said, I tell this young man, go off and start your own universe. Just go on and create your own universe. You can set up your own rules. Do it however you want it. But as long as you're in God's universe, you better do it his way. Listen to me this morning. Listen. God is in charge. And it's good because he's holy. His plans are good. That's the encouragement of Hannah. Look at verse 3. Boast no more so very proudly. Don't let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and with him actions are weighed. Hannah now moves from rejoicing in a God who's worked on her behalf, and now she gives a warning. She gives a warning to the arrogant, those like Penina who have gloried in their own ability, who like to brag about what they've achieved. And she warns them, notice here, not against their actions, but against their attitudes. Don't get too arrogant. You know, with arrogant people, it's not, not so much that they necessarily think too highly of themselves, but arrogant people who thumb their nose at God, here's, here's the real mistake they make. They think too lowly of God. That the person who snubs their nose at God and says, I'm just going to live however I want to live, they think somehow that God doesn't see. 
They, they think somehow that maybe God doesn't hear my words, and that God doesn't keep a record, and, and God's not going to judge me for my actions, that God's not all-knowing, God's not all-powerful, and I'll never have to give an account. And here's Hannah's warning. Essentially, you better shut your mouth because God is a God of knowledge. That's what she says here. He's a God of knowledge. You need to know this today. God sees your life. Nothing is hidden from his sight. He not only sees your life and hears your words, but he knows the intentions of your heart. As I was reading this, I couldn't help but think in 2 Kings chapter 6, when the wicked king of Aram, they're fighting with Israel, and every time he comes against Israel, they seem to know his maneuvers before he acts on them, and they're always escaping. And the king of Aram looks at his guys and says, which one of you are telling Israel what we're going to do? And you remember what they tell him? No, king it's Elijah. God's telling him what you're going to do. In other words, God sees everything you do, king. He hears your words. Listen, God sees. He's a God of knowledge. He sees everything. And it says with him actions are weighed. God's actions are balanced, meaning evil does not go unchecked. God is just. And God is not always, God doesn't have, you've heard me say this before, but God doesn't have knee-jerk reactions, not to righteousness. Oftentimes, you'll, you'll follow in faithfulness, and you'll not see God automatically re react. It's not like you, you trust in faithfulness today, and your bank account's going to go up, and he'll cure you all your health problems. That's not the way God works, nor is it with the unrighteous, nor is it with the wicked. God doesn't, wouldn't you love it when, God, when somebody does evil, God just strikes them down? That's the way I would do it. I'd just strike them down with a lightning bolt. And wouldn't it be more effective you disobey God and your teeth just rot and fall out? And you'd be like, well, I don't want to do that anymore. But that's not the way God works, is it? But here's what the Word of God tells us. Listen, God will exalt the humble and he'll bring down the arrogant. You remember uh, Naboth's vineyard? King Ahab, wicked King Ahab, he decides he wants Naboth's vineyard. Sees this nice vineyard, I think I'll take that. Goes to Naboth, tries to get Naboth. Naboth says, I can't sell it. It's against God's law. I can't do it. Goes home pouting and whining about what he can't get. Jezebel says, we'll just see about that. She pays false witnesses to bring false testimony against Naboth. They bring false testimony against Naboth, drag him out in the streets and kill him. And you look at that story and you read it and immediately nothing happens. But I'll tell you what does happen. You remember God says to Elijah, you go tell Ahab. I want you to go send a message to Ahab. You let Ahab know I saw what he did. You let Ahab know I was watching. And you let, you let Ahab know just as the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs are going to lick up his blood. I wonder if Ahab didn't wet his pants every time he saw a dog after that. <laughs> Is this today? But you go on and you read this story and it's a little bit later, what happens? Ahab goes out into a battle, tries to disguise himself. I'm gonna trick God, I'm gonna prevent myself. He thinks he's real smart. And it says somebody just randomly shoots an arrow and it just so happens to hit him in an unprotected area of his armor, he dies. They drag him from the field about and guess what, the dogs lick up his blood. Listen, evil will not go unchecked. God is a God of knowledge. He knows a whole lot better than you do. And he's watching. And evil will be judged. 
Then look at verse four. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. And it's interesting there that even the barren gives birth to seven. We know that Hannah would go on to have five other children besides Samuel. Well, this is wrong. No, the number was a symbol of perfection. You know what she rejoices in? God's given her exactly what she needs. God has been perfect in his, in his plan and in his will. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he sets the world on them. Do you know what she's saying here? God is sovereign over life and death. God can raise up. God can bring low. Doesn't matter how high you are. It doesn't matter how powerful. It doesn't matter how mighty. You're not untouchable. Can God take a really powerful man and bring him down just like that? You bet he can. Ask King Herod. Incredibly powerful man. He goes out one day, puts on his royal attire, takes his seat at the royal rostrum and gives a speech. They hear his speech and they say, the voice of a God and not a man. And he gets puffed up. And the angel of the Lord struck him with worms and he was eaten by worms and he died. That's a bad deal right there. Listen, you better not get too arrogant because God has ways of bringing a man low. Nebuchadnezzar, you remember Nebuchadnezzar? He looked out over all that he had accomplished, said, boy, look at all I've done, how great I am. God says, how about you eat grass like a cow for a little while and we'll find out how great you are. Listen, no matter how high, God can bring you low. No matter how low you are on the other side of this, what Hannah says is that God sees you. No matter your circumstances, if you'll humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he can lift you up. May not happen in your time, may not happen in your way, but God has ways of lifting you up. The arrogant and the prideful, watch out, God can bring you low. And Hannah tells you why at the end of verse eight. She says, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he set the world on them. The pillars of the earth in this context is referring to the, to the social ordering of the world. Listen, God is sovereign over every aspect of history. That God determines who is king. He determines who is deposed. He raises up and he puts down. He's the director of human history. And all the ordering of society rests on him. And this beautiful, as the book begins... Hannah says, let all the nation know, God is in charge. Don't get too discouraged with these evil priests, Eli and his sons. You're going to see it next week, who were extorting the people on the basis of their religious devotion. They had manipulated the word of God for their own personal benefit. They're engaged in sexual immorality, and they're in charge. They're the priests. Does God bring them low? Yes, he will. And will God take a humble little servant? That's what you're going to see next week in Samuel. He's just ministering to the Lord. He's holy. He's not going to follow that path. He's going to be a representative of the perfect priest, and God will raise him up because he's a humble servant. 
And he'll foreshadow the great high priest Jesus Christ who will come. And we're going to see it in Saul and David, the arrogant Saul. He's arrogant. He's in charge. He's in control. He's powerful, but he's, he's arrogant, and he trusts in himself. Can God bring him low? Oh, God will pin him to the wall at Beit Sean, cut off his head and say, you're fired. And he'll take a humble little shepherd like David, and he'll raise him up. God is teaching this nation. I'm in charge. I raise up the humble, and I bring down the arrogant. Verse 9, he keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness, for not by might, not by might shall a man prevail. Can I tell you, greatness in God's kingdom not comes through your strength, but through your surrender, your submission. Because humans don't control history. Kings and politicians and citizens do not ultimately control the outcomes of history. We serve a God who is transcendent. He transcends time and space. And yet at the same time, he's involved and engaged and sovereign over every aspect of history. He raises men up for his purposes and he brings men low for his purposes. And Hannah has now experienced this. She's seen it in her life. And Hannah seems to know that this, what has happened in her life on a small scale, will be the experience of this nation. We're going to see this. The idea of God's sovereignty, it's, it's something that we stand in awe But I think it took on special meaning to the nation of Israel. You know why? Because in every aspect of this nation's history, God would demonstrate, I'm in charge. Um, Abraham has... Ishmael, the oldest, but God passes over Ishmael and he gives the blessing to who? Isaac. Isaac will have two boys. And yet God declares before they're even born that the older will serve the younger. I'm gonna pass over Esau and I'm gonna bless who? Jacob. God says in this nation, you need to understand something really clearly. I reserve the right to choose. You remember Jacob will have 12 sons He'll pass over 11, and he'll put the blessing on Judah. David's going to be the runt of the litter. God will pass over all the others, and he'll put his blessing on David. Joseph, loved by his father, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery. God raises him up to second in command over Egypt. God is sovereign. He uses anyone he so chooses. So the message of Hannah, humble yourselves before God. You know, during the Middle Ages, uh, you've heard me mention this before, but during the Middle Ages, there was the upper class and the lower class, and whichever class you were born into, that's where you were remained. There was no upward mobility, even under the punishment of law, until what happened? The Protestant Reformation. And one of the, the, the central ideas of the Protestant Reformation was what? It was the priesthood of the believer. That God's spirit rests in every believer, and no believer has more of the spirit than another. And you can go to God on your own, and you can study God's word on your own, and no matter what station you're born into in life, God can raise you up. In fact, it would give rise that, that your work has worth. Your work has, your work became worship 
It gave rise to the Protestant work ethic and, a, and the divine recognition of recompense for a person's work and their, their excellence of work. But the idea that you're not, you're not held hostage by your circumstances, you're not held hostage by where you're born, where you're born doesn't have to be where you finish. Humble yourself before God and he has the ability to raise you up. Hannah's example, what we'll see is not the exception, it's the norm. I was speaking with Pastor Chuck this week, that's what he it just kind of hit me. It's like we're talking about the humility of Hannah. And Pastor Chuck goes, you know the beauty of this? That's not the exception. That's the norm. He's right. Listen, this, this is the way to greatness in God's kingdom. You want to be great in God's kingdom? He bring you low. That the way up is down. The way through greatness is through service. And humility. What are the Beatitudes? Where does it begin? Blessed, happy, fulfilled are who? The poor. It begins with an acknowledgement that you're broke spiritually. You humble yourself in a recognition of your sin and your spiritual broke. Blessed are those who mourn that you're grieved over your sin, you're repentant over your sin. You understand you're a sinner, you understand you can't save yourself, you're repentant, you're grieved. You don't just feel sorry about your sin. You repent. You change. And then it says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. And then there's a hunger and thirst for righteousness. But the way up is down. That your capacity for greatness in God's kingdom is not dependent upon your heritage or where you were born. Your capacity for greatness is not dependent upon your bank account. It's not dependent upon your degree level. Is dependent upon your humility before God and your perseverance to cling to him no matter what. Look at verse 10. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered against them. He will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He'll give strength to his king and he will exalt the horn of his anointed. She says those who contend. Listen to me. It's never a good idea to contend with God. Uh, even this week, I was out at Reach Church, and we looked at Genesis 32, one of my favorite stories, where Jacob wrestles with God. He's going to contend with God. And he holds his own for a little while. It's not as though it's an even match. God says, you want to dance, little man? We'll dance. We'll, we'll wrestle a little bit if you want to wrestle. You're mad at me. But guess what happens? When God says it's over, it's over. God just takes his finger and touches his thigh, and his hip is dislocated. Listen to me. It's never a good idea to contend with God. You'll fight a losing battle. In the New Testament, the two greatest opponents of Christianity, Herod, eaten with worms. Always a sign you're not headed in the right direction. <laughs> and the other great opponent, guess who it was? A man named Saul. You know what God did? We'll just take him, convert him over to our side, get him to, 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 to begin the, the new mission work to the Gentiles, and he'll write a good bit of the New Testament. How about we just do that? Can I just tell you something this morning? If you're here and you've been opposing, or maybe you're watching online, I don't know where you're at, and you've been opposing God, you've been snubbing your nose at God, saying, I'm going to live however I want to live. Listen to me. One way or another, God will shatter you. 
You'll either be brought to your knees voluntarily under the mighty hand of God and his grace and his love towards you and you will fall to your knees and you will worship him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and you'll trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, and you'll know his grace and his forgiveness and his freedom or know this, if you will not bow today willingly, one day you'll be shattered forcibly. You don't contend with God and win. He wins. How do we know? Hannah tells us. Because God has promised to send someone that he'll give strength at the end of verse 10 to his king and will exalt the horn of his, what's that word? Anointed. You know what's beautiful about this? This is the first mentioning that that anointed, it's Mashiach. The first mentioning of Messiah in the Old Testament, the Savior right here. Hannah, it's a demonstration She knew God would always win because she knew God had promised to send somebody. Back in Genesis 3.15, what did it say? The seed of a woman will crush the serpent's head. God's gonna send somebody. He'll put down the rebels. He'll put down the enemies and he'll make things right. She was resting her hope in a Messiah who would come. You know the beauty of this too? In the New Testament, who is the first to announce the forerunner is coming? A humble, barren woman named Elizabeth. Who will be the first to announce the coming of the king, Jesus Christ? It'll be Mary, and she'll sing. In fact, you want to go look at the Magnificat in Luke chapter 1? It's almost identical to Hannah's song. Who will be the first to announce the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Mary Magdalene. Who will be the first in the Old Testament to say there's a Messiah coming? Mashiach. A humble, barren woman. Don't you think God just smiling in heaven? Watch what I can do. Look at how great I am. Listen to the encouragement today. Humble yourself before God. And he'll exalt you at his proper time. Just some quick applications. Number one, God is sovereign and he loves you. You're going to hear this over and over again. God so loved the world. But listen, that verse doesn't really become impactful in your life until you realize God loved you. Hannah had a lot of experience with God. But now it became personal. And she testifies and she sings. I think the deepest desire of every person's heart is to know that somebody cares about them. The message of Christianity is that there's somebody really big who loves you. And he did something. Hannah rejoiced in the Lord's salvation. God has accomplished salvation on your behalf. You say, how do I know God loves me? He sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for your sins. Paul tells us in Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know this today? God knew every sin you'd ever commit, every evil deed, every evil thought, every intention of your heart, past, present, and future, knowing all those things, he still loved you. He loved you so much, he sent his son to die in your place, to take the burden, the wrath, and the judgment of your sin on his shoulders, on a cross, dying for you. And now through his death, guess what? God has a way of remaining just and holy and at the same time extending forgiveness to you. 
God can't overlook sin. Somebody's got to die. Somebody's got to punish. Otherwise, he would no longer be just. So he poured out his justice and his wrath on Christ so that he could freely extend salvation to you. God loves you. He's acted on your behalf. But here's the requirement. The requirement's humility. Listen, if you're here today and you think, well, I'm good enough. I think one day, maybe this is going through your mind, all seriousness. There's some of you that think, I'm gonna get before God and I'm gonna tell him about all the good works I've done. He's gonna say, boy, you are so good that God is somehow gonna be impressed with your righteousness. Listen to me, you stand before a holy God, you're gonna realize something really quickly. Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people, I'm done. The key the prerequisite is you have to come to a place where you realize you're spiritually broke and you got no hope and then you begin to realize that your only hope is Jesus and in humility you lay all your life down, all your hopes, all your dreams, you lay all down, all, all these ways in which you've been trying to impress God with your good works, you lay it all down. You realize it's Confederate money. All that stuff you've been doing, you're not impressing God. It's fool's gold. And you lay it down and you say, God, today I'm just trusting in Jesus. You know what he does? He lifts you up. Jesus, it says of him in Philippians chapter two, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. God will go to work and he'll mold you and shape you, bring you to a place of humility and service till you get to the point where you lay down all your life and you trust him and that's when God says, now I'll pick you up. I don't know what your circumstances are today. If you know Jesus, maybe you're today and you're in humble circumstances, can I remind you? I don't know what you're saying. You're saying, boy, I just got that diagnosis this week or... Maybe it's a marriage issue. Maybe it's a financial issue you're facing. I don't know what you're facing. But my encouragement to you is remember this. We don't operate out of the box of cause and effect. We got God outside the box. My encouragement, you humble yourself before God. Listen, he has ways. May not happen in your time and your way, but my encouragement to you would be humble yourself. Don't turn away from God, turn to him. God has ways. I, I remember the story of uh, Jim Cimbala. He said one day he was preaching at Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. And, well, he wasn't preaching. He was, the service had just started, and they're doing the, the singing. They're doing the, the singing, and he's uh, sitting in the front row, and he just feels compelled, he said, by the Holy Spirit to go preach the gospel. He just feels a com- compulsion, go preach the gospel. And he says, you know, we try to rationalize these things in your line. He was like, Lord, I can't go preach the gospel. We haven't even taken the offering. We can't do that. It's not the right order, you know. But he said, I, I go. And he goes up on the stage. His wife, who's the choir director, she's looking at him like, what are you doing? I don't know. I'm just going to preach the gospel. So for five minutes, he just preaches the plain gospel, the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ who died on a cross for our sins. He extends a brief invitation. They sing a song. And as far as he knows, he only saw one individual respond. The next week, he got a call. His uh, wife got a call at the church, and the man said, you know what, I, I want the words to that song you sang early in the service during an invitation. 
We don't know why, but Pastor Jim got up and preached the gospel very early on. I really like to have the words of that song. She said, why is that song so important to you? He said, well, let me tell you a story. I, I got a son that me and my wife raised, and he's not, he's not walking with the Lord, and we're worried about him. I had a business trip to New York, and so I told my wife and my son, why don't y'all go with me? We just thought it'd be good to spend some time together. And so while I was in meetings, my wife and my son, it was good, and we had determined we were gonna go to your church on Sunday. We wanted to come to your church. We wanted our son to be there. We wanted to worship with you. We got up Sunday morning. We realized we had our times incorrect. Our flight was earlier than we had anticipated. We weren't gonna be able to stay for the whole service. We decided we'll just go anyway. We'll hear what little they got to hear. And we get there, and for some reason, we've only got about 10 minutes left, and we're going to have to leave. And pastor got up and preached the gospel. And he said, no one else responded, but my son got up and trusted Jesus. And we've seen a supernatural change in his life. Wouldn't it be just like God to rearrange an entire worship service to save one teenager? Listen to me this morning. God has ways. Cling to him. Cling to Christ. Do we have a hymn? We do. Story goes of Luther Bridgers. He was a pastor, an evangelist, a church planter. He had a wonderful wife. God gave him three boys. In 1910, 26 years old, he dropped off his wife at his in-law's house. He was going on a, like a preaching tour and a lot of preaching involved. He's going to drop his wife and kids off at his in-law's house and he was going to go do this preaching. Drops the wife and kids off while he's gone. Late one evening, actually in the middle of the night, neighbor sees a fire at his in-law's house. They get over there, but it's too late. His wife and his three boys all perish in the fire. Said he entered into a deep depression in fact, he said it was a depression that was so strong, he actually had suicidal thoughts. But in the midst of his pain, he was reminded that in Job, Job writes that God promises to give us songs in the night. That God has the ability to give us songs even in the pain. And so he went on to write this song, one of my favorites. There's within my heart a melody. Even in the pain, he's singing. That's us as Christians. We read this story of Hannah. You say, well, it's easy for her to sing. She's just been given a son. No, no, no. Remember, she just laid that son down. And I bet that was a hard move. But she was rejoicing in a God who loves her. Luther said, there's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still in all of life's ebb and flow. I love this verse, though sometimes he leads me through waters deep. Trials fall across my way. Though sometimes the path seems rough and steep, see his footprints all the way. And then that last verse, you know why we sing? Soon he's coming back to welcome me far beyond the starry sky. I shall wing my flight to worlds unknown. I shall reign with him on high. Can we sing that chorus together? Y'all know it. I'll give you the words, and then Pastor Bill's going to lead us. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing.
That's Hannah. Listen, I don't know what you're going through this morning. We can sing. Because we serve a God who's sovereign, he loves us, and he's perfect. Let's stand together. We're just going to sing that chorus together. We'll sing it through twice. Jesus, Jesus, how? I read the wrong hymn. And Bill, and Bill already knew. <laughs> Do the right hymn for us. Sweetest name I know. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing. Keeps me singing as I go. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Father, that's our heart today. We sing because we know that you are with us. We sing because we know that you are God. We sing because we know that you're good. And God, I pray for the one here today that may not know you. Lord, I pray that you would work in their heart to reveal their sin. God, I pray that you would humble them today under your mighty hand. I pray that you would reveal the depth of their sin. But I pray at the same time you'd reveal the greatness of your love in giving your son Jesus to die for them. I pray that they would humble themselves today. They quit trusting in themselves and what they can accomplish. And they trust in the name of Jesus. There's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And God, for those of us that do know you, I pray that we would cling to you. No matter what circumstances we face today, we cling to you. And you would give us, just like you did Hannah, a song in our heart. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.